Hello, I'm Stephen, this is Mick, and today we're going to be talking about the topic of rebooting society. Before we begin, we just want to say that this is only a discussion, there are no right or wrong answers, these are just our thoughts and opinions which can and will change. Neither of us are experts on anything, we are just two dudes talking. So today's episode, we're going to continue talking about rebooting society, this will hopefully be the final one for the time being, and before we get into it, I'm just going to quickly recap what we've done. I'm going to do it a lot quicker this time. I've been doing it <laughs> each time. So if you want to get the full idea behind it, just go and check out the previous episodes. So our scenario for this topic is that all electronic data has been wiped. Everything else is still intact though. So we're like buildings, population, natural environment, that's all still the same. We've got enough resources to last us one year. And the main reason for that is just so that we can take things throw it slow, plan it out, and uh, we don't have to rush. Our fundamentals for what we're building a new society on top of is we've got a mission statement of every human being should be able to achieve a fully realized state and live a rewarding and fulfilling life. Some basic human rights that we think everyone is afforded is food, uh, access to food and drink, security, shelter, health, education. And then some principles that are the foundation for our society is transparency, honesty, agency, or free choice, uh, accountability and repercussions, and compassion. Then after that, we started actually talking about, okay, how would we practically reboot society based along the idea of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we've been continually building up from the base layer to the top layer. So we've done so far layer one, physiological needs, which is like air, shelter, water, food, Layer two, safety needs, which is like personal security, employment, resources, health and property. And then last time we did layer three, which was love and belonging, which included things like friendship, intimacy, family and sense of connection. So today we're going to focus on the fourth layer and we'll talk a little bit about the fifth layer, which is self-actualization, but that's kind of like the end goal. So we're not going to do a full uh, topic on that. But for today, most, most of it's going to be about esteem which involves such things as respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, and freedom. And just a um, to kind of a reminder that at this point, this uh, esteem need is more psychological. It's a little bit difficult to get a quantitative uh, value out of it. So it's kind of more abstract, more feelings, emotion-based. So we're going to be a little bit more in the, uh, I don't know, ethereal space here. And the other thing we wanted to note is that once we reboot society, like once we get up to this layer on the hierarchy, we've already radically changed the way society structures. So we can't really compare to where we are in today's society to where we would be in that society in order to say, okay, at this point we would implement this in order to achieve that esteem state. It might just be that once you cover off those lower bases, you don't really have to worry about anything. Okay, that's my quick recap. So we'll get into it now <laughs> we're going to start off by first off defining what what we actually mean by esteem and i'm going to give two definitions that i found online so the first one is a dictionary definition which is uh, esteem is the regard in which one is held and then the second definition actually comes from the wikipedia page for maslow's hierarchy of needs which is esteem is the respect and admiration of a person but also self-respect and respect from others. So Mick, there are two broad definitions of it. What does esteem mean to you? 
Um, so, yeah, so I was thinking about this when we started the uh, thinking about this, doing this podcast. And I guess I'm always used to the self-esteem being a familiar term. And the way I sort of judge that is or, or define that is the way in which you look at your own value. Uh, so what, what level of value do you actually have? So if you have low self-esteem, you don't feel like you can, you've got any value to the world around you. Um, and when you've got high self-esteem, maybe you uh, think you've got more value than you actually can contribute. Um, so you probably want to be that middle part, which is actually um, aligning what value you have with what I guess others also see you can provide. So that's probably a, a good way to try and monitor self-reflection as well um, is to see where your self-esteem lies. Um, you want that probably middle point. And then I guess esteem, I was trying to think about how did that actually change from self-esteem? So uh, uh, when I looked it up a bit like yourself, it was like that admiration and respect and that made a, a lot more sense to me. So I guess we have our own internal um, sort of way of valuing our own um, uh, value to the society, but also how do we um, then share the value of others? So, um, you know, making sure that we give them a little bit of confidence and I guess um, give them a little bit of esteem, admiration and respect for, for what they can contribute as well. Um, so you're probably wanting to, to balance that value between what is it you can contribute and what are the others can contribute and then admiring and, and respecting those. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I broke it up. Yeah, I definitely, when I think about it, it is two parts. It's internal and external and they're both a little bit different and like, yeah, you do want them to match. So internal, and I like that you use the word value because I think although it's a broad abstract term, that kind of like is the best word to use to uh, summarize what it is. It's what how we value ourselves or how others value us. And I've got a couple of words here which I'm going to share and they pretty much I think the way we, we should do this is to talk about yeah them separately first and then maybe bringing them together and how we would get them to match so I've got some words for um, external esteem so how other people regard us and again this came from the um, Wikipedia page a lot of these so externally we see it as um, like status recognition fame prestige and attention and then internally which uh so the external one is considered again in the wikipedia page but i think that's probably fairly accurate for what it is it's considered a lower version of what esteem is so how other people perceive us is actually a lower version of it so we should be more paying attention to i guess how we value ourselves within and then for for internal some words we've got that relate to that is like strength competence mastery self-confidence independence and freedom yeah do you have any any thoughts i think the the mastery one's an interesting uh way to describe it i guess um because if you think about admiration and respect when, when do you give someone a, a whole lot of admiration and respect it's usually a few uh, probably a few key factors one is that you're unable to do it yourself so like whenever you see someone, like if I see a sports star, that's why I've, you know, I watch a, a lot of Australian rules football and um, I understand the challenge that uh, uh, they sports people go through maybe on the field and even off the field, I guess, um, and watching them go through that journey or go through those experiences, 
I, get, I feel a significant amount of admiration and respect for what they can do. Um, and a lot of that is because not only do I understand the amount of effort that's being taken, but I also understand that um, it's not something that I've been able to master at this point. Um, and it's a little bit vice versa. I guess, uh, you know, once I uh, master certain things, well, uh, so so probably, probably a lot of my values... Uh, I've had a lot of experience with computers or, or electronics and all the rest of it. And I guess that um, when I can share that mastery with someone else, um, it gives me a lot of um, internal, uh, what do you call it, content, I guess. Uh, and, and and particularly when people can recognise it. It's not necessarily, I guess, when people uh, praise you for it, but they they know that they can come to you with a problem and they have enough respect and admiration to then put it in your hands and allow you to go away and solve that. I think that's really what uh, true respect and admiration is. It's that ability for a prof- one professional to give another professional a task that they can't do. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think that uh, mastery is a really good way to explain uh, the phenomena of that, that admiration and respect, I think. Yeah, I like that as an external measure of is, is uh, seeing in other people what we struggle to do for ourselves. So that's that's a way for us to regard them highly. I want to just, if we can, how about we start by concentrating a bit more on internal. And yeah, in order to live up to something, you have to have kind of a measure of, okay, well, what am I trying to live up to? Like, I feel like that's a big part of, of how you get this sense of esteem, which is, okay, I've got a certain potential that I can get to and am I reaching that or not? I think that's really, to break it down as simple as possible, that's really what this is trying to say is that what is it that I'm capable of? What is it that I'm doing? Are those two uh, incongruent? Are they matching? And there is, it's a little bit different, I think, when you get externally because you may not necessarily understand as much as the other person how much they are capable of, but you see in them doing things that maybe, like you said, maybe you can't do yourself and you're like, oh, okay, I appreciate that because I understand how difficult that is for me. So it's really cool to see someone else. But yeah, so let's talk about maybe for ourselves. How do you think that we figure out what what is it that tells us, okay, this is our potential? How do we, what's the calculation there? You know, you can do what's potential for uh, gravitational energy or whatever, you can do all these calculations with something physical. How do we do that in ourselves and figure out, okay, what is it that we are capable of? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And I think even when you brought up uh, the fact of between esteem and self-esteem, self-esteem seems to have this more range of you can have uh, low self-esteem and high self-esteem. But when you think about it externally, it's always the, some kind of admiration so I guess taking that in consideration of that, there's a spectrum between uh, feeling not good about yourself and feeling really good about yourself. And if you think about that, that's really what you want to do, I guess, when when uh, when you when you're measuring your own self-esteem is to make sure that you have that measure internally. Because I guess if you have that measure externally, um, you're unable to control that value that you're able to provide. So I think. You know, when we think about self-esteem, probably the first thing you want to try and do is remove that measure from anyone else externally. So don't get that from someone praising you about doing something or being angry at you. Understand why they did that, but don't allow that to impact your your, your self-esteem, levels of self-esteem. 
So if you think about removing that, then you have to internally figure out what self-esteem is to you. And I, I would agree. It's about you being honest enough to say to yourself, what is it I want to achieve? What is it I want to do? And then being able to actually plot a plan and actually achieve that. And I think that when you do that, um, I guess if we take the, the dictionary definition of admiration and respect, that's when you get that admiration and respect for yourself. It's when you go, you know what, uh, this is the bar I'm going to set. I don't know if I'll get there, but I'm going to do everything I can to try and achieve it. And as you go through and you get the, you know, you fail, 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 win, those little wins actually build your self-esteem because you've actually, you're not relying on that external measure. You're, you're measuring yourself. You're going, you know what, I didn't think I could get here, but I've actually got here. And I did it through hard work, planning. I put the work in, put the time in to get there. And I think that that's the only real way you can get true self-esteem for yourself is to really think about what it is you want to do, how you, you know, how you're going to go about doing it and then actually execute and, 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 and act on that. Um, and whether you achieve it or not is probably, uh, I guess it's always going to have an impact on, on your level of self-esteem, but I guess it's, you should still have some admiration and respect for the, um, for the process which you undertook um, and, and realise, oh, actually I did follow through in what I wanted to do and I did try and achieve it even if I, you know, didn't get to the end goal. So, yeah. I'm glad you brought it back to that because I was going to make a point of that. Yes, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to achieve it or you may be setting the bar even too high than what you're capable of. Again, it's an abstract idea of you have a certain potential that you can get to. Now, one of the problems can be you can set that bar too high. And before I go on with that, I want to also mention, yes, perfectly said, don't let someone external to you set that bar for you. Don't let someone else say, this is what you can achieve. This is what your potential is because they don't know you in and out like you know yourself. Let them guide you maybe. Okay, take their feedback. Okay, uh, he sees that I'm good at this. He thinks that or she thinks that I can do this or that. Okay, take that in and measure it yourself and say, yeah, that kind of lines up with my own thoughts. But yes, go internal, set the bar and be careful because, yeah, if you set it too high, you think I can do this, that and the other and then you attempt that and you don't quite reach it, you might start thinking, well, what am I doing? I'm not, ach I'm not achieving this. I must be, again, like you said, have low esteem of yourself whereas it's like actually – you really could only achieve a certain amount, which is perfectly fine that you are in the capable of that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like as long as you reach what you're capable of, why do you need extra? You're doing all that you can do. That's really what matters. And I think that's a big point that I want to make uh, amongst people in general is that we might look at someone else and in an absolute manner compared against all, each other, you may see them as doing lesser than what you are. That's completely irrelevant and that's a terrible way to measure people it should be you look at them and you say okay what are they capable of are they meaning that yes and that to me is talking about external that's how i respect people is when i see that's their measure that's what they're doing perfect they're hitting it and that's that's what i appreciate about it yeah i wonder i wonder if it's a you know the way in which you hope to value yourself is i guess you know, like you said, if you see someone that's working really hard at a problem, and they, they might be mediocre, but you might have actually more admiration and respect for them to get to where they were than someone that was actually a master at that. And I think maybe if I think about why is it that I admire and, and respect someone that does that, I think what it is is that they've, um, they've actually plotted a plan and they've actually tried their damnedest to execute it. Because if you think about one of the biggest problems I think that we all have is that we want to do something 
Um, but we don't always get there. And a lot of the, the barriers to that is our own mind. It's like, you know, when you go for a walk, if you can just focus on putting your shoes on, you get there kind of thing. And so it's kind of the same thing. I think the admiration respect comes from when someone actually continues to push through, continues to, to be determined enough to go for that goal, irrespective of everything else that's in their path. And once you watch that, once you see someone try and do that, I think that that's where the admiration comes from, the respect. Because if you, if you think about even even the hero movies, it's always the underdog, isn't it? You know, it's always the the underdog um, is plotting away and going through failure and, and really uh, sort of grinding it out um, and then getting to some moment of, of elation um, and then everyone's like in awe or respect or admiration of that person. And part of that story is, I guess, in the old American way, they, they come out the window. But really I think the emotional attachment to that is that, yeah, you're watching someone actually be, you know, go through something that was very difficult to achieve for them um, and they didn't quit. They were determined enough to be consistent and and, and uh, coming back each time to try and try and get through that. Very well put. And I think that's an important point is that it doesn't matter where you end up, it matters where you end up relative to where you started. So quick example, like uh, say you're climbing, one person climbs to 10 metres high but they started at 8 metres Whereas you, you started at two meters, but you only made it to eight meters. Their difference is two. They've climbed two meters, whereas you have climbed six meters. So again, in an absolute um, comparison, they are higher than you, but that doesn't take into account the fact that you've had to climb those four extra meters than they had to climb. So yeah, and that's, I was, I was going to bring it up, but you did already the underdog story. That is what that is. It's saying you have such a lot of ground to cover and just watching them go from A to B and seeing that that's more than the person who is already at the top. That's why we we feel an attachment to them. That's why we root for them. That's why we want to see them succeed because it's a bigger journey for them to get from there to where they are. And I think a big problem with, um, like you said, the American one is that they, they, they end up winning in the end. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. That It really doesn't matter if they win or lose. It just matters, again, that they've covered that ground because it might be that, yeah, it was always a a um, unattainable victory or something, or it was always something that was just pie in the sky, not going to happen. But it doesn't matter that they won. It matters that they got as far as they got. And like everyone can respect that because you can see how much they've had to overcome to get there. So that was a really good point. And I think that ties in very highly with uh, esteem and, and how we value others and how we regard others highly is to see them overcome. Yeah, I wonder if the attraction is that watching the watching growth, you know, like uh, I guess that's what we all admire in someone is the ability to actually grow past their potential or past where they're currently at, you know. So as we get older, I think that becomes more difficult, um, you know, obviously for, for obvious reasons, like, I guess, is, you know, as the life cycle goes through, there's a period of growth, particularly high growth when you're, you're a kid and a teenager and then you get into adulthood, maybe growth slows down a bit. And as you go forward, it's harder and harder to, to continually grow and change. And so it's the overcoming of that. It's to continue to grow and uh, and face those challenges and overcoming of that. And maybe that's the the desire that we we like to see with others. We really like to see people grow, regardless of like you said, the starting point. No one, you know, everyone starts off in a very different starting point. You can imagine, 
you know, you can imagine even a, a story that wasn't Americanized that someone was on the streets and homeless and then was able to get a, you know, just a job as being a cook in a, in a, in a restaurant or even just a cafe, you know, and you could make, you could, I think you could make a really good story that would still um, um, have a lot of uh, viewers showing admiration and respect for that, that individual that went from this to this. And yet if you took that from the outside point of view, it, it may have not looked like that they're, they're just an average person or whatever. So, yeah, it's true. Yeah, if you didn't see the starting point, like if you played out that movie and you didn't see that they were on the street at the start and you only saw the end where they were cooking, you'd be like, well, so what? But you have to see the whole the whole journey, the whole path in order to um, appreciate it. An exa- I, <laughs> I was thinking of an example or it popped in my head when you said, you know, it gets harder as you get older to grow it. When, yeah, when you're young, there's so much to learn. There's so much to experience that you get to a certain point in your growth and a lot of the skills end up being transferable as well. Like a lot of what life is is actually general and applicable in many different areas. What's the quote? Like know the way broadly and you will see it in all things. I think that's a, a quote. But yeah, just the general idea that there's a lot of transferable uh, skills and understanding. So once you get to a certain point, it gets a lot difficult to grow because there's less room. And an example I had of that, or it, it, it's harder, it takes more effort to grow. An example I had of that, even though it's probably a little bit off, is like a car accelerating. Getting to the first 100 kilometers or 60 miles per hour is generally fairly easy. But then getting to the next 200 kilometers or 120 miles per hour is a lot more difficult because you're having to overcome a lot more in order to get there. So yeah, just as a kind of a visual uh, example or something, you know, to kind of yeah, keep that idea of, okay, the first part is relatively easy, but then the second part is going to be a lot more difficult. You're right. And actually, I'd like to extend on that analogy with a vehicle because it's also there's stops and starts in between. Um, and that take, you know, whenever you start a, a car up from, from standpoint, you've got to overcome its inertia. So, you know, that's a significant amount of effort. And I guess as the car gets older, it, it becomes more more effort because the car gets worn. So, you know, you think about the cycle of life and people are generally, until they're, what, maybe their mid-20s, everything's growing. They're growing strong. Their body's growing stronger. Their mind's growing stronger and everything like that. But there's a point of diminishing return. So basically as you get older, that starts to wear off too. So that's probably another part that you've got to actually overcome is that your body's going to get weaker over time and and uh, your mind's going to get weaker over time so continually to plot that same course is going to take more effort it's just uh, sort of a physics I guess well put I want to bring it back to internal how do we actually I want to ask you personally uh, see if you can come up with an answer for this that how do you set okay this is my potential this is what i'm capable of is there do you have any methods to do that what's your, uh, that's a really good interesting point um i'm a person that sort of tends to float this is probably a weakness of mine i'm a person that tends to float and i don't necessarily have a fixed goal in what i always want to achieve but i do look for opportunity so i think that's what i tend to do most in order to align where my goal is so that's the starting point obviously a bit of a goal um so once I see an opportunity, I guess uh, if it's an opportunity of challenge, I tend to take it on. That's generally what I do. So, And I think that that actually gives me my own self-esteem. So if I 
I guess if I, I don't know, maybe this is why I do it. Maybe if I set my own goals, it's sort of like a bit of a bias and I can just do it and, and I'm happy. If someone else sets that goal, then it's a little bit, there's two things I think that motivates me from that. One is it's uh, likely to help someone else. So that's always a, a, a good feeling of contentment when I can contribute something that's going to benefit someone else. And the other part is that uh, I can't define the challenge. The challenge is defined for me. So um, that's a really good way for me to overcome any bias, but also to uh, uh, overcome those things. I can't do it or uh, this can't be done or whatever. It's it's allowing that challenge and then confronting it that someone else has defined and then confronting that head on. And I guess if I can get through that, that's where I get my self-esteem from. It's like, oh, I never even would have thought that I would have done this sort of thing. So the opportunity pops up, never thought of that opportunity before. I then look at it and go, geez, that's hard to do. You know what? I'm just going to throw myself in. And then if I get through those two things, then there's this feeling of uh, uh, admiration. For me, it's like an elation, but yeah, it could be seen as, as admiration for myself because it's, oh, wow, I never, you know, six months ago, I would never even thought of trying this. And now I've got to this, this, this area, uh, you know, this goal. So how do you measure then if someone gives you a whatever a goal or something to achieve that's that's good like it gives you that motivation but how do you measure that if you do succeed or you don't succeed how do you measure it and say okay I gave it all I could and like you get the rewarding feeling from that like cuz there might be some goals that they give you but you're not able to um, achieve them but you can still look at yourself and you know you know what I did the best that I could and I feel good about that how how do you measure that? That's actually been probably a problem for, for a good portion of my life is how, you know, maybe I think what I've done in the past is got really frustrated myself when uh, I can't achieve a goal and not realise that sometimes that those goals probably are not achievable in that period of time or, or for many other reasons. Maybe it's not the ability to be able to have one person to do that goal. Um, so being able to measure that's probably been, I've probably been a little bit self-critical on myself. Um but I guess uh, the. <laughs> but you're generally a pretty content person, so you're you're clearly doing it. Maybe you just don't think about it, and maybe you just feel it out, and and that's how you get there. Yeah. So what I was going to lead on is a little bit what you said there. I don't feel that I um, take failure that hard. Actually, I sort of embrace failure. I don't. I think a lot of people in this situation would probably get stuck on that. So you know, like you said, if if someone said I should achieve this and. And then I can't achieve it and it's all a bit of a flop. There's a period, obviously, that I'm very disappointed or frustrated or whatever. But I think um, in the long term, the way I, I approach it is it's done. Like the experience, I, I went through the experience. There's a lot I gained from that experience. There's a lot I enjoyed in that experience. And those outweigh the fact that I wasn't able to achieve it. So it really doesn't actually shatter any confidence with me um, when I fail like that, even if someone sees me as failing because – I don't know why it is. It just doesn't really impact me because uh, failure is inevitable. It's it's part of the the story. It's part of the the uh, journey. So I don't see it as an as maybe as a negative or that that high level of uh, impact that others might feel. And so it's probably served me well. And I don't know which one came first. Like, did I have to have that technique in order to overcome? Uh, the fact that I allow those opportunities come to, from me externally or um, did I have it before then? But, yes, you're right. It's I just sort of, uh, yeah, I'm content. Whether I fail or succeed, it's, I'm still content at the end of the day. Uh, I don't allow that to judge my level of um, emotion, I guess. 
Yeah, I think that perspective is really important to have that it doesn't really matter if I succeed or fail as long as I've, you know, given it my all. And it, it kind of comes back to, for me, I don't think you can really define it. I think it is just a feeling. And this is where really, again, going back to our um, principles that we live, we're trying to create a society based on is that transparency, is that honesty. And I think being honest with yourself is really a big part of it. If you're, if you're capable of doing that, when you get in those situations, you can be honest and, and ask yourself, okay, how do I feel about what I did? You know, did I give it my all? And in once you gain that ability, yeah, it doesn't matter if you fail or succeed or whatever it is you're trying to do, you understand, okay, I did what I was capable of. For me, that's that's how I try and judge myself. Whenever I'm doing something, I'm like, how does it feel? Say, say I'm running, all right, or I'm on the treadmill or I'm doing weights, doing something physical. To me, I, I look at it, I'm like, yeah, that was good. But I get this feeling where I'm like, I could have done more. And I'm like, crap, that means I have to do more because I wouldn't be getting that feeling if it wasn't, if that wasn't there. So then I do more and then it's like, yes, okay, that feels right. So it really is, you kind of just got to, well, at least from my perspective is you just got to practice that. You just got to, when you're doing something, turn inside and say, okay, am I doing all that I'm capable of doing? Am I meeting my potential here? How do I feel about it? I feel good. I feel bad. What does that mean? And then try and, yeah, even if it sucks, even if like in that moment you you can't be bothered, it's like you're going to feel better afterwards if you actually try and meet that potential. Yes, you're right actually. If I think about it, you you do measure it that way. You, you, well, I, I do measure it that way internally as well is if you're really, yeah, that's why honesty I think is so important in so many different areas because if you are honest about the situation, you actually know. You don't need it from anyone else. In, in fact, there's a lot of times where people would have, uh, you know, jump in joy for the success I have and then internally I don't feel that because um, while I've met their measure, I haven't met my own. Um, so it's sort of, um, yes, being honest is really critical to this, this process, I think, uh, without being completely honest with yourself. I think the other important part to that is you can be completely honest about yourself, but then you need to remove the judgment of what a um, successful and a fail is. So you might be honest with yourself, but if you continually sit in a situation where you're failing, it's not going to help you out. So you need to, when you're honest, you need to combine that the fact that failing success is in everything you do and that uh, you need to take that honestly without the emotional attachment to it because um, as soon as you attach some emotion to either one of those, I think it it impacts the process quite significantly um, and it doesn't allow you to honestly look at the situation. So if you have a negative connotation to failure, I think that clouds your, your judgment with honesty about yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. you definitely got to be um, cautious and not get trapped into, oh, I didn't succeed at whatever it is I was aiming for. Yes. That doesn't mean that you failed. <laughs> You, yeah, you may have succeeded just in something else that you weren't you weren't aware that that's actually what you were measuring yourself based on. It gets very uh, <laughs> very tricky, yeah. Yeah, it does. I was going to actually say something else. So, um, it's really interesting when we measure success and failure because it's a it's a finite period of time, and the reality is nothing. It's not. I mean, our life is finite, but outside of that, it's not, it's continuous. So like when I go through a process, it, it might be a big uh, activity or a big project and uh, there's a start and a finish to that. But I actually don't necessarily always see it that way because a lot of what I do through that process 
whether the actual outcome was a success, a lot of the stuff that I did there will actually apply to something else. So in actual fact, in my mind, I've actually gained value of, or have there's some level of success there because I've learned these things that can apply somewhere else. And so the outcome externally or the big milestone at the end might not look like success, but the fact that I've gone through the process and learned things to me is successful um, because those are the things that I use for the next thing and they all keep feeding into everything else. So, you know, it's there's a difference there between defining uh, a start and a finish and, and, and also sort of allowing them to fade away a little bit and realise it's a continuous run. Um, so, yeah, yeah, just remember not to measure it uh, critically at those key points, I guess, or how you do it. That's a very good point that it is continuous because, yeah, if you stop and quantify it at this moment in time, it may be a failure, but then you go later on in time, stop, and you're like, oh, hang on a second, that actually helped me to get to this point here, so that was actually a success previously. So, yeah, it really just depends on when you're measuring it and also what you're measuring it against as well. Maybe you failed to achieve some goal, but you actually succeeded in something else that you weren't you weren't initially you know going towards all right i want to go a little bit towards more the external measure of uh when our esteem needs are met externally how other people value us i'm thinking like even when we're talking about this uh, it'd be interesting to see for other people because i don't think we have as much of a need externally to get um validation from others that you know because i'm wondering if and, and and tell me your opinions on this what do you think if we meet our own expectations internally, do we even need that external validation or do we still need that? Do we still need people to see that and to recognize it and say, yes, that person is achieving what they are capable of achieving? It's a good question. So I would say that, yes, everyone has a propensity to how much external admiration or, or um, respect they actually get. Um, so I would say extroverted people are probably more likely to, to, to sort of seek that out. I would say it's not always, I wouldn't say that it's necessary for some people, but I would say that there is a benefit. There is a benefit. And the reason I say there's a benefit is that, you know, when you take a journey through life, you can either take the journey in solo or you can take it with people, right? If you take the journey in solo, yes, it might be quite enjoyable, but you don't get to share that with anyone else. If you take it with people, I think what you get to do is share it with other people. And I think the ability to share what someone else is good at and what you're good at, there is a benefit to all people. So it might not necessarily be needed, but I think there is significant value in it because it helps, it helps you know, there's always this part of self-reflection, but you also want to get external reflection and and uh, that's a way in order to remove or help mitigate the biases in your own mind is to, to bounce off someone else that you can really trust and then get their perspective about how you're going, you know. Um, and I think that, yes, that is, that is value. That is valuable. So I would say, no, it's not a re- necessarily a requirement, but I think it is an important factor, yeah. Mm, even when you were talking then, we, uh, I kind of had that feeling if you don't have other people to look at and, and get their um, perspective, yeah, even though you may think you may be doing all that you can, it may not actually be true. you, you got to really see it from other people's perspectives as well. 
Yeah, you need uh, to have that common point. Yeah, you just you just need validation from other people because yeah, how do you know then if you're insane? Like if you don't know if you no one else is like you're not talking or interacting with anyone else. How do you know that you're actually making sense? Or yes, I guess you, there's an internal anchor which is yourself, and then there's external anchors. However you tie them, I guess. So you know, even even I mean, it doesn't even. This is a strange way to look at it. Maybe I do it this way: is that you know, even the fact that when we do these podcasts, we look at ourselves being recorded. It's not someone else judging us, but we're seeing ourselves from a different perspective and there's value in that. There's value in that because I don't see that perspective when I self-reflect. I can't. It's it's outside my perception. So even with a camera, it allows you to have insight about things that you haven't been able to necessarily perceive about yourself. So I think that external reflection is just as important as your internal one um, and you obviously need, you know, a close connection with some people in order to trust and to allow that to occur properly. You don't want to anchor yourself to someone that's uh, has got low self-esteem themselves, I guess, um, because they're not going to be a very good judge character necessarily for you. Mm. That's a very good point about the reviewing ourselves on the uh, camera and I wonder if that is some a reason that a lot of people struggle seeing themselves from that perspective because they haven't seen that before and maybe it doesn't measure up to what they are thinking internally. So you could probably even use that as a way to kind of figure out, okay, am I meeting my uh, potential? In terms of uh, yeah, gaining that kind of high regard amongst the community, I think it really depends on what are you contributing to the community. And so... I think one of the problems that we have now is that sometimes we'll work these jobs, but we don't really see how that connects to helping the people that we're around. It's, it's, it's maybe gaining income for ourselves. It's allowing us to live, to feed ourselves, whatever. But we don't really see how that's contributing to the people around us and the community that we live in. So I think that once, yeah, if we, if we live more closely aligned with the people around our community, our tribe, whatever it is, and we have a certain purpose amongst them and our own, uh, like that's Stephen, he does the gardening or whatever, that's Mick, he does the IT, whatever it is. And that gives us a sense of, um, of esteem, a uh, sense of worth contributing to others. I think that's a really important part is to see, okay, how is what we are doing affecting the people around us and is it actually contributing to their lives and making it better? It's, it's uh, interesting to think about it from that point of view. I think, yeah, because we've become very globalised now and we don't necessarily know our neighbours and, you know, our family isn't necessarily close, uh, it's broken down the uh, probably the social structure which we once had and actually added that sense of worth and value at a much probably stronger level. Because uh, like you said, you go to a job now. I mean, even food's a really good one, isn't it? Like where did my food come from that I just bought today? And how did it get here, you know? So have I lost respect in the process of, of making food? Because I don't see that journey. I don't see what actually happens. I'm not connected to it. And maybe at some point in time we were connected to it. Like you said, Steve uh, trenched his garden, put the seeds in, spent the time to grow it, you know. And if you're just down the road, I've, I've been a part of that process maybe at points in time, even if it's not me doing physical labour, just me passing your house or seeing your house and seeing that food grow gives me a sense of where it started, where, 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 um, where it come from. 
And I guess if you think about what you were saying before, where does it start and where does it end? Like that measure. Um, yeah. If you're, if you're blind to that, then it's probably a little bit harder to see. So, you know, with food, uh, I think food's a really interesting one. I think people have lost a lot of respect for food because it's in abundance. It's brought by someone else and all we need to do is bring the money and buy it. Um, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I do. I really like that example that you gave because I do think that is a prob- big problem that we have now. We don't really have as much respect for the farmers, for the builders, for the laborers that are actually doing the stuff that <laughs> takes care of those base layer needs. If that was to disappear, you know, all this high level stuff, the ones that we respect that are doing other things, maybe like um, people playing sports, actors, whatever, that's going kind of irrelevant at that point because you don't have food, you don't have shelter, you don't have all these necessities in order to live. So you kind of, you'd forget about them. But yeah, we kind of take it for granted now because it's such abundance and, and maybe we should focus a bit more on that. Um, in terms of practical, okay, if we were to look at in a new society, how do we how do we find meaning, purpose amongst our community? Maybe it is more that we look at the aptitude of people and try and instead of them finding a job that they can do, we as a society find a job that they're suited towards that contributes to our, our um, culture. A lot of the times now it's just, okay, where can I go to earn money? It's not necessarily that you want to do it or that you're good at it. I know there are for some people they will have dreams that oh, I want to grow up and be a doctor, I want to be fireman, whatever it is. Those ones are driven to do that. But a lot of us are just like, eh, I'll just, there's a job available here, I'm going to try and do that. Whereas if we can collectively look at it as a society and say, okay, these are the jobs we need covered, we need people to build, we need people to whatever, we try and fill those first. Once they're filled, then it's like, and, and we also try and align people to it as well. So we look at them and say, okay, your aptitude is towards this. And then you can't just say you're good at this. So you're going to be doing this. You say, okay, you're good at this. Do you want to do this? We recommend, like, we think that you will enjoy doing this because you are good at it. And then once you fill those necessary needs, which is like we said, uh, air, shelter, food, which I think you would cover, like there's enough human beings now that I think we'd cover them. And we've got enough technology that the output from those covers, like you can have one person with a hundred output, whereas it might've been in history, one person, one output. So one person covers a hundred outputs. So you've got plenty of, um, plenty of people to play with to cover those basic needs. And then once you've done that, you look at each person and you're like, okay, this is what you're good at. This is what we think you would enjoy doing. Can we fit you in somewhere that it does this? And that will give them the feeling of worth, the feeling of uh, importance amongst others. How does that sound to you? Yeah, I think, I think so. It's interesting. I think we've, it's interesting you, you bring it up that way. I hadn't, hadn't thought about it that necessarily that way. The first thing that comes to mind is there's, there's, there's something in between. So I think schools somewhat try and do this. They try and basically uh, get, you know, get people in a, a, a when they're a kid, teach them the foundations and then allow them to branch off in those areas that uh, hopefully best suit them. But I think school isn't broad enough in its range of topics in order to cater for for the vast majority of the population. I think it actually, in in fact, it probably maybe a quarter of the population it suits, um, and a lot of the other population gets pushed through it because it's the the path that's sold to them. Um, but there's something that we've missed um, when we've actually taken away. If I think about uh, the the stories or history told to me about um, how how 
how kids had been brought up in the past. They often follow maybe their mum or their mothers or their fathers or their uncles or whatever it is, their traits. So I think we've lost something a little bit there, like particularly if you think about uh, trades and and, um, doing apprenticeships and all the rest. I don't know what it is these days if it's you have to you have to be in year 12 before you can go there. Um, I think there's something lost there. I think there's something about having a kid learn uh, from from a mentor that's that's close to them some mastery or some skill, whether that's cooking, whether that's uh, you know metallurgy, uh, whether it's something with wood, whatever it is, I think there's something lost there of getting that kid in early enough. Uh, to go through, particularly with its motor skill, to go through those skill sets. Um, so it's kind of, I don't, I don't know how you'd practically necessarily do this, but I, I kind of see that there's a blend here between um, having their closest community sort of bring them up and then having some external view from outside of that community that also helps uh, draw out that individual's value and and their own contentment Um but I do, yeah, I do think that you want to, you know, as a parent, I think one of the roles that you're responsible for is to put your kid in enough different opportunities that you get to uh, watch and guide them on where they feel their value lies or where you, it's not where you see their value lies. You'll be able to see where they feel their value lies. You'll say, oh, okay, this kid's really interested in this. They can see they're doing well at it. Um, let them go on that path irrespective of what others think um, that's often shut down as well I think you know like the, the classic oh don't do art it's that's just a waste of time you won't make money from that um, and that's a real shame because you know you need artists in life uh, it's what gets us through <laughs> and what helps us with the future so yeah yeah hopefully in our rebooted society the whole you won't make money from it won't will be a null and void like because you've got those base layers covered so it's like don't worry you've always got food on the table you've always got shelter don't worry about money just what is it that you enjoy what is it that you're good at and then and then you know follow that and i think it would be good to have a more like we really don't put from my perspective enough emphasis on okay let's figure out what people are good at let's figure out again their aptitudes what are they enjoying and then kind of not even guiding towards that because it's actually might be counterintuitive if you start going, oh, you should do this, you should do this, you do this, you're good at it. You might actually drive them away from it. Just to have a better setup where we can embrace that and just let kids try a whole bunch of different things, see what they're good at, see what they're naturally driven towards. Because majority of the time, whatever you're good at, whatever you have talents in, you'll just most likely naturally go towards it. It's just providing that environment so that they embrace it and they seek it out and I know we've done a topic on school before and we'll return to it in the future because I think it's really uh, important. But I like what you said that it is a bit too narrow. It'd be good if it's just, okay, school is not as long as it is, like not the full whatever years that we currently have, 12 whatever years. It's like, okay, here's six years. We're going to show you everything, like all the different avenues that we currently have available, we currently know of, because there might be other things that people come up with and want to expand into and just give them that and then try and find yeah, where is you, where does your aptitudes lie? Where what are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? And then yeah, concentrate more on that than shutting them down. Oh, don't be a musician. You're not going to make any money from that. Whatever it is, 
And yeah, you hope at that point we've already got all those base layers covered. I think that's the main problem nowadays is that you got to get the money in order to get the food in order to survive. Whereas if you've got that covered, you don't have to worry about that. And then we can all just, yeah, follow follow what it motivates us. Yeah, you're right. That's the first thing I thought uh, as we were talking about, as you sort of brought out that first layer, it's like, yeah, that it shows that this hierarchy would work that way because as soon as you meet that layer, then you can actually try to focus on this. So from my point of view, what you want to do is promote that self-exploration. You want to guide people through their own exploration process. So that's not telling them how to do it, but that's giving them confidence to take different opportunities, giving confidence to to go one path and then go, you know what, that's that's not me, I'll jump past kind of thing. So, you know, often I think a lot of people are hesitant about that. Uh, they don't like seeing people change paths. They don't like seeing people, uh, you know, just particularly if they put a lot of effort in I can imagine a lot of parents, you know, you go to a, do a degree, you finish your degree, they want you to use your degree but then you don't want to you, – you, you've spent the time understanding what it actually means and now you realise it's not something you want to do. And I can, I can see that that's a common point of conflict, I guess, in a lot of people. And it's probably a very pivotal point because it means that they're going to either realise that they still added – they got value out of the degree – it's just that's not something they necessarily applied, and that that that's still valuable to them, or uh, whether they go, you know, I did the degree, so therefore I must commit uh, to this path, and I think that uh, can be a big mistake. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and the important thing to keep in mind there is that even though you might not got into that field that you were studying for, you just learnt so much stuff that is transferable. So yeah, it, there's no wasted time there. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Is there anything else with esteem? That you want to talk about before I get into a bit of self-actualization? Uh, I think, yeah, I think we've covered it yeah. <laughs> pretty broadly with it. from internal to external. I just wanted to mention that there are uh, extended hierarchies, like the five layers that we did are kind of like the classic, but they have added more over time. And But we won't get into those. I will just mention that they are cognitive needs and aesthetic needs. And I was thinking about them a little bit and I, I, I don't know if I agree with adding them to the um hierarchy i can see you thinking about it yeah you, mm. i think yeah maybe we'll think about it and discuss it in the future but we won't do it for the time being so once we have all those other lower layers covered again physiological safety need love and belonging and then the one we just did esteem we get to the fifth and final layer on the hierarchy which is self-actualization so let's try and <laughs> we'll just be brief on it but let's try and just what is self-actualization? What do we see it as? And I just wanted to mention that this is something that I've been thinking about for a while and it's really difficult to define, or at least I'm struggling to define it. It's it's very abstract. It's very feelings-based. It's very um, relative and subjective. So what may someone someone's lifestyle that they may consider as, okay, this is me reaching my full potential will look completely different for someone else because they're just made up completely different. So it's entirely subjective. It's unique to each individual and yet this is the point where it's like completely qualitative. There's no way to actually physically measure it than to ask someone, do you feel like fulfilled in what you're doing? So I don't know, Mick, do you have kind of a way you like to think about what self-actualization means? Yeah, it's a really, it's a, yeah, it's a, like you said, it's a very abstract term. So I think we have these abstract terms and I think sometimes we, uh, we define it in a very, we think about it in a very quantifiable way. So even with self-actualization, the first thing that comes to thought is there's two ways I could probably think about 
how we define it, I guess, or how we uh, measure that if we've got there or whatever. So the first one would be, I guess, um, content. So content and feeling that you're that you're uh, that you're at your edge of potential. So they're probably the the first two for me is. Is there, is there internal feeling of content? And I think the best way to ask if, you, if you're feeling internal contentment is uh, are you in, in constant uh, state of peace? So the way I measure if I'm content is how peaceful I can be. So as soon as I elevate and get frustrated or uh, get annoyed, I realise that there's something internally that I'm not content with and that I have to... Um, uh, basically approach or to, to confront. And so if I was to actually take some measures, that's what it would be. The other part to it is, is it, you know, the other definition I would take from self-actualization is that it's not achievable. So I always consider that it's not fully achievable, but it's a motivation. It's an ideology in which you want to try to achieve. And I think as people, we often don't think about terminologies or ideologies this way. We often implement them and we think we can actually get to the, to, to the actual terminology. Uh, you know, maybe a show on pol- <laughs> politics would be an interesting one because I think a lot of terms and, and techniques or ways in which politics are applied are not fully achievable, um, but there's something we want to strive to. So the definition is important for motivation, but it's not important in the fact that it can't be achievable. Um, and so I would say self-actualization is the same. So if you take that measure of contentment or you take that um, measure of being on the edge of your uh, – or maybe we take it and we say your full potential, um, I would say that uh, that's where you want to try and align to but realising you can't always – you're never going to get to your full potential or you're never going to get to full contentment. But that's the motivation. Yeah, very well put. It lines up a lot of what my thinking of it is. I think that's great to mention that it's something that you can never attain. And I like to also think in terms of um, what perfection is as well. Think about it this way. If you achieve a state that is perfect, any other state, any slight deviation from that state is not is imperfect, which means, you know, you, you, you that's it. Once you've hit that, that's the peak. Everything else is down. And how do you hold it then? That's got to be like the end of time in order to hit perfection, in order to hit full self-actualization. That's it. That's It goes into another realm. I don't even know how to begin to try and <laughs> quantify what that is or, or talk about it. Yeah, I just want to – so I'll, I'll, I'll back up a lot of my thoughts cover pretty much what you said. Uh, the way I view it is it's it's meeting that potential. It's meeting, okay, what am I capable of? And then meeting it. And then the other thing to consider is once you actually meet that potential, your potential has now been raised. It's higher. Now that you're capable of doing this, you're capable of doing the next thing. So it goes back to, okay, it's never actually capable of achieving it because it's always, it's a moving target. It's like you get to it, it's moving upwards, but it's a great target to have because it's always, it's always promoting growth. It's always helping you get better at whatever you're doing. And yeah, it's, you use the word content, which is very good word. I, I would use that as well. Some other words that I use is fulfillment, is that sense of being fulfilled, uh, reward, satisfaction. It's interesting because it, they don't, I, like a lot of people might think it is, it's happiness, but I don't really see it that way. I, I, it's it's not necessarily that same elated feeling. It's it's sort of a, no, nah, this is good, but it's not that peak. I don't know. It's weird. Does that? 
the best way I can describe it is, as I was saying before, is peaceful. You know, it's this feeling of peace and maybe with that combined it's confidence. So it's like the ability to be able to, it's not happiness. I wouldn't say it's happiness uh, in that uh, the difference is that, okay, so one of the things I think as you get a lot of knowledge, what you realise is someone can't take that away from you. And that gives you a, a feeling of good contentment, but that gives you a lot of peace. And I think that that's what's kind of happening here is you're getting a level of peace because you know whatever comes your way, it's achievable. You can, you can, you can deal with it. You can get through it. And that's a really good feeling. That's a feeling of being content. I, I almost would say the feeling is content when you can be uh, present and capable w- within the moment. Um, so yeah, yeah. That's where I was going next with it is that you, you've kind of, you're on the precipice of that self-actualization point when you're just appreciating every moment, you're not worrying about what comes next, what was before you're just being in the moment, taking it all in and appreciating whatever is there. And then the final point I want to make is that again, going back to potential and the, and the way to like, I, I broke it down into three words. If I ever needed to quickly, okay, what is it? what is it I'm trying to achieve is is that practice is meeting potential. Is that whatever I'm doing practically mm. is meeting whatever I'm capable of doing. Yes. yes. Yeah. So any other thoughts? I would say something about the, the definition thing. Maybe the good way to think about it is these definitions are static in nature, um, but your life is uh, dynamic. And so basically the term's always going to ch- change from the perspective of your life, but it's not going to change in its original static definition kind of thing. So, you know, realising that, yeah, even with happiness, I mean, happiness is really a state. It's a state you get to experience sometimes, um, but it's not a persistent state that you can ever achieve. So telling someone to just, you know, uh, that their own goal is just to be happy is, uh, it's not achievable. You know, you can't have happy without sad. You can't have um, all, all, all sorts of emotions from that point of view. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, this is something that I don't know. I have a difficulty in communicating this with people. It's just the idea of contrast. You think of it, how can you see black without white? Like if everything is white around you, it's all the same. So like you said, how can you be happy if you're never sad? You need at least some contrast. I guess the important thing is, okay, how much contrast do you need? Do you need like terrible, terrible, terrifying pain in order to feel happiness? Or do you just need a little bit, oh, I'm feeling a little under the weather today and today I'm feeling great. So what is the balance there? What What is the right amount of this side of the table to this other? I don't even want to put it as negative positive. We might think of it as negative positive. It's really, it's a line. It's negative one, one, zero. Which side are you? Where are you? And how much, yeah, how extreme does each side have to be? I don't know. Mm, Something mm. like that. Yeah. And then it's always like, I always think of life as being, I have this vision in my mind whenever I think about life is it's like you being thrown in the ocean. And basically the ocean's just taking you in all different directions. Let's say it's a it's a choppy ocean that doesn't have a current in a particular direction and you're sort of just going with it and your ability to be calm with that is what will give you the best ride kind of thing. So like if you try and fight that ocean, you're going to start to get anxious, you're going to get uh, worried and all the rest of it. If you get overconfident with it too, you could cause yourself a lot of danger. So what you're trying to do is just sort of go with it, just feel it, go with it. Sometimes it's going to be a bit treacherous. Other times it's going to be calm, and uh, and and just realizing those moments and taking in the value of those moments because there's value in 
you know, there is value in like, if I go to the had happy and sad, there's value in both. Like when you are actually sad, sometimes good to be sad. It's, you know, it's, um, there's things to be sad about, you know, there's things to grieve about. Um, and you want to go through that process. You know, if you think about grieving, it's the, it's, it's removing, it's trying to come with terms that maybe, so if you grieve someone, it's to come with terms that you can never see them again. It's only in your memory, uh, that person now. Um, so going through that process is important and it's also comforting to, you know, when you grieve someone that's passed away, you do go through those memories and that's quite a nice experience to go through. Even if you're sad in that moment is to think about the times in which, uh, that person, you know, the, the good times with that person or something. Mm. Grieving's a uh, topic for another. It another is a topic time. for another day. But I uh, do like your yeah. analogy though of like just you're in choppy oceans, just go with the flow because any attempt to go against it is you putting in energy and the more you try and go against it, the more energy you have to put in, which is like just complete opposite of <laughs> what nature wants. It wants to go to the lowest capable energy state. So yeah, go, go with that. And then like the only other point I would say against that, the times that you go against it is when it's, when it's too much that it's going to pull you under, if going with it actually pulls you under, that's the only time you really need to go against it. I don't know, you could probably uh, expand that into some kind of a <laughs> real world, yeah. world scenario. But yeah, anything else before we no, close out? No, I think that's good. I think that's good. Very good that we came to the same understanding for self-actualization. Uh, yeah, so. be interesting to see if other people have uh, it would be. different ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, a lot of people you talk to that I think would um, be similar with. So if someone has something that's radically different, yeah. it would be very interesting to see. That would be true. So, yeah, okay, that rounds out our talk about rebooting society. So I guess we'll get to some other topics a bit later on. Any any thoughts about overall? It's been really interesting. So it's been a, a really interesting series. I think it's, um, you know, it's our first – I think we did a few little – practice podcasts of, of a particular topic that lasted for the, the topic in itself. I think what's been interesting about this one is to have a, have a bit of a plot of the course, uh, the, the topics we were talking about. It's grouped together in this hierarchy of needs, but we've been able to do this at different points in time. So, uh, you know, I can imagine if we did this all at once, our perspective would be from that point in time. Is doing over a series of times. It's, it's quite interesting. And that a lot of the discussion has been around about just on the fly about how you would actually problem solve or go through these things. You know, I think that's going back to what I like is not knowing what the opportunity is and then taking the opportunity and doing my best with it. Uh, I think this one's been really interesting. Some of the discussions have been very hard. There's probably some things if I look back at it again that I'd probably re reflect on and, and change my thoughts on possibly and there would be other things that I, you know, uh, I'm uh, probably strong, still strong about that will stand the test of time but i think from that point of view it's been very interesting to to see it progress over the the, the weeks or the months that we've been trying to do this yeah yeah and hopefully it highlights i mean if we come back to similar topics in the future i mean i know for myself i've, I've thought about things past saying them and oh actually i would change that now but hopefully it highlights in the future as well oh, okay they are we are dynamic this really is just us trying to talk things through and have a discussion we are open to changing our opinions so yeah it'd be interesting to see let us know what uh you think and then yeah we'll go from there but uh to finish us off my supplemental song suggestion for today is float by recognize 
you spell that W-R-E-K-O-N-I-Z-E. And then my quote for today is, often people attempt to live their lives backwards. They try to have more things or more money in order to do more of what they want so that they will be happier. The way it actually works is the reverse. You must first be who you really are, then do what you really need to do in order to have what you want. And that's by Margaret Young. So thanks for joining us for this discussion and this uh, topic series that we've been doing. Uh, as always, it's, it's still the beginning. We are still, still going. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And until next time, be well.